1: This is Good Night, Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Boski. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Good Night, Maryland. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Maryland Radio, Nina Boski.
2: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Good Night, Maryland Radio, the show that we explore through the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss Monroe herself. And what a week. Boy, what a week of honoring somebody's life. We have some shout-outs. We have Margaret from Houston, Texas, Marco from Amsterdam, Netherlands, Brittany from Spokane, Washington, Deb from Victoria, British Columbia, Miguel from Mexico City, Tina from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Carrie from Canby, Oregon, Lee from Chiang Mai, Thailand, and Andrea from Salvador, Brazil. So as you can see, we're growing each and every day. And we indeed have fans from all over the world. And I'd like to say a little special shout out to Jamie and her mother who came from England this week. We're sharing in the uh, honoring of Marilyn. And if you go to the Goodnight Marilyn page, you'll see this beautiful seven-year-old just redhead a sparkling little light that uh is probably one of the youngest Maryland fans, so uh shout out to jamie so as you know um this is season two, Maryland's last day, so many people surrounding Maryland's last day of her life, you know they all are connected, but the question is how so. It's part of what we're going to be talking about t- today. Uh, you know, there's always seems to be a new show popping up talking about Marilyn's death. There was another one on the Reels channel that aired in the U.S. Uh, with Dr. Rip- Richard Shepherd. Uh, you can get it online too. It uh, it it aired. Uh, I think it was in the U.K. first, but you can get it on YouTube for people not living here in the United States. Uh, but we will be talking about it in today's show. It's called Autopsy: The Last Hours of Marilyn. Monroe's death. We also had a very ex- exciting announcement for those of you who did not get a chance to hear the live show or come to the live event on Tuesday, uh, You and people are asking me, where can you get uh, the show? It's voiceamerica.com slash live events. That's voiceamerica.com live events, and you could pull it up on archive. We had a wonderful announcement. Dr. Michael Badden joins the real-life investigation team, so now we have Dr. Cyril Weck and Dr. Michael Badden that will be joining investigative forces. And what does that mean for you to the audience? Well, unlike the autopsy show in which you just hear an expert giving their commentary like you, you know, um, if you did see the show with Dr. Um, Doctor Shepard, um, you'll see him just giving his commentary and his expert opinion. But a lot of times, you know, as an audience, you don't know where the holes are. You still have some unanswered questions. So these these two gentlemen in their, in their field will be giving you the layman's terms of what they understand and what their conclusions are. Now, they may agree, they may not agree, but the beautiful thing is you'll have the ability to... Tweet or email questions live on the air. And uh, it is going to be called, it's a television series called The Investigation Room. It's virtually the Goodnight Maryland radio, um, the television version of it. But you're going to have visuals and you'll have the whole investigative team together. So it'll be a, a very compelling show because it takes it out of the passive docudrama series and it brings it to a much more... Um, Active format, and you get to really live through the challenges and the victories of what it's like to look at a case 53 years later. So, and we are hoping to also have another really highly credible expert investigator on our team. I hope to, I am crossing my fingers that we'll, we'll be announcing that next week in a completely different field. So, as you know, we are really trying to point out fact from fiction and probable theory from outlandish rumor. And for those of you who got a chance to see it here in Los Angeles, so we were on Good Day L.A. this week. And you know there's a lot of misinformation out there, um, you know, even today with the show that we're reviewing. You'll see that there is some wonderful points that he brings up, um, but the show itself takes some creative liberties um, as if it were a fact, And, you know, that isn't necessarily fact. It is a theory or it's repetitive rhetoric, which is not substantiated or backed up. So we will be doing that later in the hour. And we will also have um, the co-creator of The Investigation Room, Dana Kent. She's been on with us several times. And the panel will be back. Dr. I was going to say doctor. I call him doctor. He seems like a doctor. Gary Vitaka-Robles, the author of Icon, The Life, The Times, and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. And we have Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Marilyn be with us. And of course, Leslie Kaspirowitz, who is also with Immortal Maryland combined. I think they have about 60 years experience in terms of uh, knowing all about Maryland. And just for those of you that are still in Los Angeles or live in Los Angeles, you want to join me, Eliza Jordan from LAWomentours.com will be on hand and we will be doing the Maryland tour on August 9th. So go to LAWomentours.com www.lawomantours.com, and uh, this Sunday, August 9th, and you'll take a tour of all the Maryland hotspots. So before we get started, we have a lot to cover. I'm trying to get it all out there because we have an exciting guest uh, coming up in just a few minutes. I would like to thank the Voice America Radio Network's, Randall Libero, our executive producer, Mike and Ryan, and everybody that really did a great job in putting our first live event together, who do a great job each and every week. Thank you. Could not do this show without you. Jenna Weissman, our talent booker. Jen, our social media person. And Ginger, who really did a wonderful job in uh, doing our PR. And Emily, who films and edits a lot of our videos. So thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody who was a part of it. And especially you, the fans, who not only showed up for support but are listening each and every week. So with that... Let's get started with our first guest, Rhonda Shear, has spent 25 years in the Hollywood spotlight as an actress, comedian, and host. She's learned the art of illusion and camouflage from Hollywood's top costume designers and has created a glamorous line of intimates for women that we'll learn about in just a few minutes. And she is best known as the star of the popular late night series, USA Up All Night, and has also headlined as a stand-up comedian. Rhonda is a huge Maryland fan, often paying tribute to her on her fan pages. So welcome, Rhonda, to the show. I am so excited to be part
3: of this. I really am. Um, There isn't a day, I I don't think, that goes by that that Marilyn isn't somehow in my life and has been my good luck charm. So there you go.
2: So tell me a little bit how that also came about. You know, I mean, obviously, you are a beautiful woman. You have a lot of uh, characteristics in terms of, you know, Hollywood actress, uh, you know, a model, so to speak, and, and kind right. of the Marilyn up and bringing. So, so how did the connection start?
3: Uh, you know, um, my mother was a huge Marilyn fan. And I think that's what's so interesting is that she transcends all ages. Um, she transcends... Uh, not only age, but also every kind of both men and women and children love her. She's just this enigmatic uh, creature that no, you just can't wrap your your head around why she has survived when she did and 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 continues to live on in all of us. Um, she just captured all of our imagination and what I loved about her, and there was a little bit of self deprecation with her. And when I started doing stand-up comedy, I just saw that in myself, that, you know, you could be this voluptuous person, but you, if you made fun of yourself just a little bit, or if you didn't take yourself too seriously, as I think at times she didn't, at least on camera um, then, um, or in person, then people relate to that. They feel like you're, you're, you're vulnerable and that vulnerable, she allowed that to show. Although I know she was a perfectionist and also, uh, insecure as, as, as a performer I was myself also. So I guess she said there's a little bit of Marilyn in all of us and, um, <laughs> And everyone loves her, and, and, and she can, t- again, like I said, there's a huge portrait done by Steve Kaufman that's an original painting, and he's no longer with us anymore, but he's a pop artist, much in the Andy Warhol uh, tradition, and it's right over my bed. So um, I wow. get to see Marilyn every
2: day. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I would say that you're very connected. You know what's so amazing too, uh, Rhonda's went to the memorial uh, this this last week, and you hear this a lot. Is that you know Marilyn, in a lot of ways, especially now, she belongs. She belongs to the world in the sense, and each of us Congrats. have a special connection that is unique, or at least it feels unique. To ourselves, you know, and everybody seems to have a little bit of Maryland. So uh, we, we do, and I, and I used to go to the Westwood Cemetery quite a bit to visit
3: her gravesite. And back then, um, she was still receiving um, the rose. I mean, I guess you guys have talked about that from Joe DiMaggio that for there was like so many years. I don't know how many years that he he they would change a rose every day um, in her above ground crypt. And that went on for years, and then finally, I think it ran out, and I think someone else picked it up. Like I don't know if it was twenty or thirty years after her death that he kept doing that. So when I first when I first moved to Hollywood in 1978, that was like the, one of the first places I wanted to see. And I don't know if anybody knows this little trivia, but um, supposedly, I mean, I've heard this for years that that. Hugh Hefner has, you know, he owns the the crypt above hers because he said for for he wanted to be on top of Marilyn forevermore. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is true. That is true. So yes, there so, is an empty I mean, crypt just, right just by her.
2: These,
3: these things about Marilyn. Um, and it's funny. I I go to now, and it's really interesting to me that her name and trademark is out there because I know that she didn't have any blood relatives, but I, I know that she's she's licensed and. There's a Marilyn Monroe spa that I go to. That's actually in the Tampa Bay area where I now live. I lived in Hollywood 26, 27 years. So, um, but she's she's everywhere. So, and there's painting, there's pictures and paintings of her all over the spa, along with like um, moving video. And you never get tired of looking of every single picture of Marilyn. I don't care if it's one that we've seen a million times or ones that are just not out there as much, but there's something about every single photograph that draws you in, and I I said that the other day, I was with a friend at the spot, and I said, what is it about this woman that I never get tired of looking at pictures, new stars, I don't look, you know, I'll see them in the, the tabloids, and they're like, okay, but there's something about her that just pulls you in, it's like you want to know her better, it was like she had this big secret, what was it, and... And why can't we get to know her better?
2: Yeah, that's a very that's a very good way of saying it because I think that um, there isn't whether it is a new star and even an old star, you know, in terms right. of the classic Hollywood era, there really isn't that type of star that has that longevity um, in regards to the popularity today. <laughs> you there, know, is, unless- there isn't.
3: There's just no one who can, and there's gorgeous, beautiful women um, that maybe even per- are more perfect classically, but. Everything about her, I guess, and I've talked about this a million times, um, sex appeal, this incredible sex appeal, but yet not so much that women didn't like her. I mean, to me, that was the amazing thing because sometimes um, a woman um, actress can be so sexy that other other females, it's like, I don't want my husband to watch her on screen. But something about Marilyn, like, you didn't, she pulled in women and men and, like, in kids. So I guess it was this... this, um, the you know, quality Ron, of her wanting to be loved so much by everyone and by her audience that made you want to love her and take care of her.
2: You know, you, you say a very good point because Billy Wilder said that about his wife. He said, he said, you know, I could say that I, you know, was alone with Marilyn Monroe for hours and hours and hours and she would be totally fine. But if he said that he was alone with Farrah Fawcett or somebody else, she would have totally, you know, uh, right. gotten upset. So the, to your point, I think that's really... She she brought in both men, women, and even today. You know, you said a, a wonderful point too. Is it the ages? Like we have a little seven-year-old that is in love with her, and then you know you have it through through you know up until the eighties and nineties. People are Absolutely. still, you know, the, the age group, right?
3: It's truly so, magical, and I, I know people have the, the you know the same with Elvis. It was something with the fascination of Elvis, but I even think more so with Marilyn. I just think this there's this is something that she and that that all of us. Just want to, want a little piece of her.
2: Yeah, I and I also is, think there's I mean, a lot maybe of maybe
3: that's what did it, Maybe that's what happened to her in the end. You know, we, we all wanted a little piece of her. We couldn't we couldn't have it. But I know she wanted to give that so much. But just everything about her was just magical. I mean, just, so just, so... Every, And that's why I, you know, during the show it was called USA Up All Night, or I used to say Up All Night on the Air. I. Um, it was a character that I created, and I kind of did it, you know, in jest with of all my favorite blondes, but Marilyn being the first, and I did it in a lighter voice. No one could ever, ever totally do Marilyn. Yeah, there's good impressionists, but, you know, but there was just a little bit of that when I, when I, that I tried to do in honor of her because I just loved her so much. And,
2: um, but so it, Rhonda, it, again,
3: there's no one that could ever, ever be, there's just, will never be another Marilyn.
2: So, Rhonda, how, how with you, you know, doing USA up all night, you know, being a actress and a model in Hollywood, did you get compared to her a lot when you were, when you were actively working in Los Angeles?
3: to a lot of the blondes and, 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 and the, the old Hollywood, because I, I embrace old Hollywood. I still love it. I mean, I am like you said, I'm in the intimate apparel business now. I've switched gears and I'm a designer. But even my intimate apparel that I design, a lot of it is shapewear to make women even look better than they absolutely look, is done with old Hollywood in mind and even the, the kind of the yesteryear uh, pin-up looks of Marilyn. So uh, So one of my best-selling items is what I call my pin-up panty and bra, and it's totally <laughs> created off of a look of Marilyn. From, so, so, um, you know, like a swimsuit look. And so, so tell us I think everybody embraces that look. It was just, again, not too sexy, not too over-the-top. As my mother said, say, you can show a little, not too much, and, and there's a certain sex appeal to that. And I think, I think Marilyn knew all that, and, and she used that. And, and, and in every frame, again, why is it every frame of every picture, you just can't get enough of a Marilyn? I mean, I could watch Some Like It Hot every single day.
2: <laughs> I know. I love that. I love that uh, film. It's one of my favorites, too. So so tell us a little bit more about your intimate apparel line, because I think that's very interesting, too. I think that in terms of Marilyn, she obviously spent a lot of time in terms of getting ready. Um, what is the intimate apparel line, and, and how and can we find then, it? It's
3: really interesting. I mean, I guess they had the old-fashioned girdles back then, and not that Marilyn, what I loved, I, I think what also what women love about her is that she wasn't the stick-thin look that has grown to be the Hollywood image now she yeah. was womanly she was curvy she had a little tiny tummy you know I mean you could see a little it wasn't this perfection this muscular look and I think that's what we all love um, my line is about um, it's called it's under my name Rhonda Shear and I sell on Home Shopping Network and on my own dot com Rhonda dot com and you can just find me if you google me but it's it's mainly it started as a line to enhance a woman's figure with you know comfortable bras and comfortable undergarments and comfortable panties. But you know I do a whole line of um, of sleepwear and nightgowns and loungewear and and much of it. If you if you just Google it, you'll see is very much in the image of old Hollywood with um, built-in bras that enhance you. Because I think women again the way I look at it. Is that you want to show a little, but not just have everything out there? <laughs> I see. think that's great. So, I think that's so true. Appeal. It's it's really pretty and it's real soft fabrics. But I I am so influenced by old Hollywood and meaning the blondes of yesteryear, but Marilyn being my favorite. So um, Betty Grable, I just love some of her images and some of her looks that you know, that you know I also love looking at and calendar girls and. Um, pin-up art, you know, Olivia is one of my favorite artists, and she 's a pin-up artist. So I, I love that. I embrace that old Hollywood because it was just something that we don 't have. Everything 's just too much out there. Everything is too much online. You can see everything too much where there was a mystery to yesteryear and a mystery to some of these performers, and a certainly to Marilyn.
2: Well, I although, certainly... although she seemed
3: to share it all with the world, it seemed like she was there <laughs> and posing and everybody. But yet, there was such a mystery that, will, that fifty years later, we're still wondering what happened to Marilyn. And I, and I think that's just amazing.
2: Well, I want to say thank you for stopping by You're and welcome. not only just sharing a little bit of Marilyn with us in terms of, you know, how you feel about her, but also your intimates and also your love for classic Hollywood because it's also one of my loves as well. So, uh, you know, uh, we'll certainly have you back when we do a classic Hollywood uh, special again. So, oh, thank I you. I appreciate
3: s- that. I do love old Hollywood. It's just, again, when I moved there in 1978, there was still a little, little pieces of the studio system, just a little pieces. So, I did get to see a little bit of it. But I thank you so much. And, um, and, and I love Marilyn, and I get to see her when I go into my bedroom at night.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rhonda Shear, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you are listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky, and we'll be back right after this.
4: for those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and Desktop at madgeniusradio.com.
1: News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Night, Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's one 866 472 5788 You may also send an email to Maryland talk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. The panel, Leslie Kaspiroitz, Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Maryland, best-selling author. And expert Gary Vitaka-Robles, icon, The Life, The Times, and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. We are discussing Autopsy, The Last Hours of Marilyn Monroe's Death, which was a show that aired on the Reels channel. And we will also have uh, Dana Kent, the co-creator of the Investigation Room, on the panel with us, too, chiming in. Uh, But just a couple of things before we move into the panel. Robert Mitchum, um, I just want to have a shout-out to him. His birthday was yesterday, August He was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut. He died on July 1st, 1997. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize this, but he was married to Dorothy uh, from 1940 to 1997, his death. And I always like to point that out because, you know, Hollywood marriages don't necessarily uh, last a long time, but his did. And throughout Mitchum's childhood, childhood, he was known as a prankster, often involved in fistfights and mischief. But obviously he turned that uh, that, uh, channel of that energy into his craft. But I thought this was an interesting trivia. Mitchum arrived in Long Beach, California in 1936, staying with his sister Julie. Uh, and uh, what happened was is that he worked as a ghost writer for astrologer Carol Ryder. And I thought, oh, my God, how interesting. What an interesting little uh, tidbit there. Uh, also, I want to just uh, read to you something that Don had. Uh, Don O'Melveny, the writer of uh, the movie Goodnight, Marilyn, and the co- co-writer, he wrote. He wasn't there on Marilyn's anniversary, but I do want to read this to you. It's a, it's a, a lyric for uh, the Marilyn musical that he's writing. That's a little bit more upbeat. It says, "Oh my darlings, I will never leave you. I'm just a sigh and a heartbeat away, close enough to hear your prayers and to guide you along the way. Because I'm not gone. I'm just here above the beyond. So to all the dreamers and the schemers, to all the hopeless true believers, to all the lonely and broken-hearted, and all the wounded who can't get started, to anyone who ever stumbled but longed to fly." I'm here for you with wings and an open sky. A bitter winter melts into spring. A lump of coal becomes a diamond ring. A mighty oak wants a, a mere kernel. I'm hope that spring's eternal. That dream will be if you just stay with it. I tell you true, there are no limits. So light a candle, say a prayer. For your dream, I'll be there. Because I'm not gone, I'm just above the beyond. That was written by Don O'Melveny. Also have just a quick life bite for you. Today's life bite, love trumps all. In today's news, there is so much negative media and anger in the world, we are exposed to the, the negativity and the media in such a way that it becomes our lifestyle. So we become uh, negative. So remember that what you focus on expands. So if you focus on, for example, I can't pay my rent, guess what? You'll never pay your rent. Or if you focus on someone's negative faults, that's all you're going to see. So at the Maryland Memorial Service this week, someone said that in life, all that Marilyn really wanted was to be loved. And in life, she didn't necessarily achieve that, but in death, she did. I can't imagine that on a soul level that she does not feel all the love and support from all the fans around the world. So for today, in honor of Marilyn, let's focus on the love, not the hate. Let's focus on what's right in the world instead of what's wrong. And let's focus on what you can do instead of what you can't. And let's lead with our hearts instead of our heads as it relates to love and life today let's instill a little bit of the humanitarian that Marilyn embodied, not just for yourself, but for the people around you in your communities. We so need it. So on that note, Let's get started. As I said, we are talking about Marilyn, her last day. I've got the panel back with us. Uh, Mary Jane Gray, uh, you wanted to start in right off. Uh, We're talking about autopsy, the last uh, hours of Marilyn Monroe's life. And uh, welcome, panel, and welcome, everybody. And uh, Mary Jane, let's kick it off. Thank you. Um, I I knew we were going to be talking about the autopsy
0: show that aired on The Reel's channel today, so I watched it last night. And uh, while there were a lot of things that I could say things about, there was something that really stood out to me that I felt was a really reckless comment that they made, where they were talking about Marilyn being prescribed Parnate for her depression. Um, The pathologist on the show said that her being prescribed Parnate indicated that her mental state is spiraling down. And I found it really offensive to say that a depressed person, Starting an antidepressant means they're spiraling down. It's this kind of mentality that keeps people with mental illness from getting help because they're being viewed as, oh, if I ask for help, that means I'm really bad and I really have a problem. And I just thought that was extremely irresponsible for them to err. And I just want anybody out there who deals with mental illness or depression, there's no shame in getting help or getting medication. And it's actually the bravest thing you can do. So I just needed to get that off my chest.
2: <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, and you and you, do d- definitely, when you have something that bothers you, you do. And I also like that you're starting out with that because one of the the feels that I want to get uh, through uh, on this show and also when we we go into the investigation and the human side of it is that if we can change a tragedy, into a transformation. And the transformation in this case and what you're talking about in terms of mental health and that people start looking at it as just like with anything, if I have a cold, if I have something that I have a broken arm or whatever it is that I need to get help, that it takes away the stigma. And I think that's really, really important. So thank you for sharing that, uh, Mary Jane. And uh, welcome also uh, Gary and Leslie and Dana to the show. Um, you guys all there? Yeah. With me We're here how are okay, you? great. And before we get started also, um just a, a special shout out to Gary. He won an award um, this this week in terms of mental health and I want you just to speak to that just just briefly because I know you're not a bragger, but I just uh, I find that is what you know par- parlaying after uh, what uh, Mary Jane said and you also want to read something in terms of Marilyn's spirit in honor of her um, her fifty third anniversary.
5: Yes, thank you, Nina. Marilyn Monroe attracts many people who, like her, battle depression and the impact of childhood abuse and trauma. She was the the first public figure to bravely disclose childhood sexual abuse during an era in which it was minimized or completely denied. And she was the first public figure to talk openly about her symptoms of depression. And in telling her story and validating her life and resilience. We also validate the resilience of those currently dealing with these issues. And in Maryland's day, there were very limited resources, but today there are many as well as very effective treatment options. So there's hope today, and there's hope for you, anyone out there in our audience listening. If you are challenged by a mental health issue, reach out to the National Alliance on Mental Health at 800 950 And if you know or suspect that a child is being abused, report it to the National Child Abuse Hotline at 800-422-4453. You are strong inside, and you can make this call. And as we celebrate and honor the life of Marilyn Monroe, consider the legacy she leaves behind as a beloved American treasure whose 26 years on earth resonates over five decades after she left us i think the challenge is to reflect upon our own lives and decide what will our legacies be how do we make an impact every day that will transcend our deaths? and like Marilyn, we don't have to win an academy award to love and be loved by many so live well love well and make a difference
2: It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, inspiration for all of us uh, because, you know, in the 53rd anniversary of her death, um, this is where the transformation happens because, you know, we can love her and we can, you know, uh, idolize her in terms of her movies and her sex appeal and all the things that she brought in terms of the big screen. But if we look at the human being, the person herself and move um, tragedy into transformation, um, then... Her legacy is really affecting millions because if she gives the one person permission, she's helped one person, she's helped people. And to me, that makes this legacy um, much more invaluable than what we may be just watching on the screen. So thank you, Gary. Uh, thank so, you. Can,
6: I, can I add something, Nina, to that? Sure, sure. Okay. This I is just Dana. To say this is that Dana, that was by the beautiful, way. Beautiful, Gary. Um, and, and in terms of having the ability, particularly with mental illness and being able to seek the help that you need, I just wanted to add that it's equally important to feel empowered that you're not just going to get medication to assist what you, are, what you have, and that it's equally important to get the support in a, in a different way, meaning that there are a lot of doctors that will prescribe medication. But if you do not get cognitive support or wellness support on the other side, um, it won't support you all the way. Uh, I come from, a, a, a personal situation in my family, and I have found that, uh, honoring what the truth is, because there is no, uh, stigma in that as far as we're concerned. And the second piece, and I think that Marilyn actually, uh, pioneered that. And the other piece to it though, like I said, is that most people when they seek help, they just get medical help. And it's, they need to get, in, they need to be empowered by getting all the help that they need. And it needs to be in the wellness sector as well. So I just wanted to mention.
2: Thank you for that, Dana. And Leslie, would you like to add anything in terms of the mental health aspect of it as well? (laughs) (laughs)
6: <laughs> well,
7: I, I think everyone's covered that just just really well, um, and I think when we get into the uh, talking about the autopsy program, um, that's you know, one of the big things that I wanted to clarify is kind of the way she's presented in those last months as um, being so out of control, uh, and that's just not factual at all. Um, so the way they're presenting the mental illness, unfortunately, we all know that she did struggle with depression, but uh, when she's presented as this person who's just completely out of control, it, it just... Oh, it's so insulting to her, um, and really to anybody who's struggling with mental illness to be seen as somebody who who is just popping pills and drinking, and that, that's not at all, you know, the case. So that's something I really so- want to get into in terms of this show.
2: So let me ask you something, because they they said that repeatedly, and I know on this show we talked about that she wasn't necessarily a big drinker, but on that show they basically kept saying that she was drinking and, and taking pills a lot. What is the truth in terms of the factual aspect in terms of just her drinking?
7: Marilyn wasn't um, a heavy drinker, and she presented that way. She she did enjoy her champagne, and, and she did often bolster herself with a few drinks when she had photo shoots or um, public appearances because she was nervous, and we've all been known to <laughs> have a little nip when we're nervous. Um, <laughs> maybe not all of us, but many of us. Um, and she, she did, like anybody else, occasionally have a few too many, I'm sure, but she was not a daily drinker. She was not sitting at home you know, getting drunk every day, and she did not drink on the day of her death. There was no alcohol found in her
6: system.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's an important part, because I think a lot of people, when you hear that, they think, oh, the day that she died, I even just heard it a couple of weeks ago, Somebody said, yeah, and with all the the drinking and the pills that she was taking that day, it's obvious that, you know, it was an overdose or a suicide. And I I was like, well, first of all, that's not completely accurate because there was no alcohol in her system. So um, I think that, again, the misinformation that's out there, and that's why I think that, you know, for the public... Um, there was a lot of, I think, uh, interesting things that Dr. Shepard said, but when it was uh, combined with the story that they were telling as if it was fact, it, it, it really skews um, people's perception. So um, with that said, uh, you know, Gary, what was your big takeaway and what was some of the things that in terms of the show you thought, huh, you know, I'm not sure if this is so accurate?
5: Well, it's interesting that Shepherd is the only expert interviewed and I like to see reliability among a series of professionals. It's you know, it's always good to have a second opinion and a third opinion and if those opinions overlap each other, there's there's a sense of security in that opinion. And here we only had one. I also thought there was a lot of emphasis on the medical piece, which was important and clarified many things, but I I still sensed kind of a a limited mental health perspective. Um, I questioned Michael Selzman um, being uh, interviewed as he was not Maryland's publicist, and um, a lot of his information did not ring accurate with me. And um, I I had a real problem with um, Shepard's statement about uh, Marilyn using sedative drugs to sleep and then stimulants to wake um, as if this was a pattern for her. And when when Mary Jane and and all of us reviewed the the medications that were prescribed that summer, I think we came up with 700 pills, there's only one prescription for dexedrine, which is a stimulant, and only 12 units were prescribed. So I I don't think that's a a fair uh, appraisal of how she was maybe attempting to manage her emotions.
2: Yeah, and I think that, that, was the like I said, there were some points that they made that could have been very valid, but when you take those creative liberties and then put things as, as speculation, as if they are fact, that's where the big challenge comes in some of these documentaries and investigative shows. And so that's, you know, for well, the Maryland... Go ahead.
6: No, without a doubt. For the pathologist to speak to the interaction of Nebutal and chlorohydrate from a pathologist standpoint was a good thing to do, particularly when you're talking on that biology. The problem with the show is that he included the other as if it had the same credibility, and that's where it got skewed. You know what I mean? It's like like I feel like it was good for him to try to bring in both her state of mind and the medical pathology together, sort of like looking at a big picture. The problem with it is that his expertise are only on one side. Yes. So he can't. You 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 look at what he's saying as if as if the credibility on everything he, he's saying is is correct. When unfortunately that's not true. At least,
2: all way. right. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we will start detailing some of the things that work for the show and some of the things that do not work in regards to that. So you, the fans of Marilyn Monroe, can understand what is theory, what is speculation, and what is fact. We will be back right after this.
4: for those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and Desktop at madgeniusradio.com.
1: News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Night, Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Talk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Good Night, Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. With me on the panel is Mary Jane Gray, uh, Leslie Kasperowitz, uh Dana Kent, who is the co-creator of The Investigation Room, and Gary Vitaco robles So let's get right into the autopsy. We're reviewing the show Autopsy, The Last Hours of Marilyn Monroe uh, and looking at uh, what worked for this show and what didn't. Uh, Leslie, you know, they talk a lot about Marilyn being angry. um, And I I do think that, you know, when people are over medicated, um, they are quick. um, They kind of lose their sense of balance. But uh, can you talk to us a a little bit about her being angry or not angry? Because that just seemed like that was a theme, too, in that show.
7: Well, I think you have to look at the reasons they're giving for why they state she was angry. Um, they talk about um, a, a couple of things. First of all, they they talk about um, the Kennedys, and we've already talked about that quite a bit on this show and how exaggerated the alleged affairs were, and uh, the fact that she wasn't really that upset that she had been dumped by JFK, and that's how it's presented in this this show. That um, after the Madison Square Garden event, that uh, JFK cut off their relationship, and that was part of why she was so upset. And that's just not accurate. She did not go to New York to spend his birthday with him. She spent the evening with her ex-father-in-law, Arthur Miller's father. Um, She did not see him afterwards. Uh, She went to the after party and then she went back to her hotel and slept and it was not an event that she spent with JFK so she wasn't angry about that and then the second thing that you have is Fox having fired her Um, and again they've taken some liberties with the truth here on this show, um, yes, Fox had fired her, and it wasn't entirely because of the trip to Madison Square Garden. Uh, there's a long story behind what was going on with Fox's situation with the money they were spending on Cleopatra and Elizabeth Taylor. And yes, Marilyn had missed a lot of filming days, but it's on record with the Fox doctors that she was in fact sick. It wasn't that Marilyn was mentally ill and just refusing to show up for work. It wasn't that she was just stressed out and couldn't handle it. She was actually very, very ill with sinusitis, and um, it's on record with the doctors. So, yes, she was a little angry about that. She was kind of being made a scapegoat, and Fox had this entire publicity campaign against her to make her look unstable, and unfortunately, that worked. So Marilyn launched her own campaign in return, and you know, just before her death, the interview with Life was published where she talked a lot about her feelings about that situation, and certainly... There was some anger there, I think, that she was being treated the way she was. But out-of-control anger? I don't think so, no.
2: Okay. And, and you know, that was the other thing is that was she, because we talked about that, was she actually reinstated before her death or were they still in talks?
7: Uh, well, mm-hmm. there's, there's a couple of uh, sides to that. There was a new contract, but I don't believe that she had signed it. And I think okay. maybe
0: Janie has a little more information on that. Yeah, uh, they, had, had, um, they had come to some agreements. They'd, they'd drawn up a new contract. They'd sent it to Marilyn's lawyer. He hadn't given it to her yet to sign it. Um, so saying she, you know, had signed a new one point million dollar two two-picture deal with Fox is not correct.
2: Yeah, so I, I mean, you know, the the fact that it was on the table, life was changing and turning around for her for sure. So um, I think that's an important part. And, uh, you know, Gary, you wanted to add some stuff on this as well.
5: Well, it doesn't take into account how the irritability that day could have been due to um, her mood issues um, that were exacerbated at the time. I I think the the show really wanted to connect a trigger to this anger being some more of the the sensational aspects of the story that we hear repeatedly in in the tabloids. Um, It doesn't take into account um, uh, other emotional things that were going on, and Um, Even Shepard, he he begins to describe some behaviors and some theories that might be related to a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder but doesn't really uh, go into that. Um, And that might account for some of these uh, abrupt mood changes that you see and some of the um, coping problems that she was having at the time. He also doesn't tie it into, I think, a much more um, accurate relationship issue which was the enmeshment between um, she and her doctor. I think if there were any feelings of rejection, I think it was the doctor who had no boundaries with her and now was establishing boundaries which now she was perceiving as a form of rejection. That seems, you know, much more credibly based than the Kennedy theories.
2: Well and what you said I was going to say also, as Lois Banner talks about it, that she was feeling abandoned by Dr. Greenson because Dr. Dr. Greenson was feeling overwhelmed by the fact that he brought her in and got her completely connected to him in a way that was not healthy in terms of a uh, doctor-patient relationship and then in some ways didn't know how to to, uh, move away from it. So um, I think that's kind of interesting. Dana, what did you want to, you were going to jump in here.
6: Yeah, no, I mean that relationship was was obviously very unhealthy. And and again in this show by omission, you know what I mean, to Gary's point, it is tough when you're when you don't know a lot of these things, when you're watching a program like that because you think the information you're getting is only what is true. you, you know what I mean? The fact that this relationship, this unhealthy relationship, could have uh, contributed to her mood, absolutely. And, and, and with that kind of uh, uh, personality disorder, that mood fluctuation and that sense of abandonment triggering that kind of mood fluctuation is true, like I said, from personal experience. I have a family member that has that, and that does happen just like that. So Can we...
2: Can we explain to the audience they they may or may not have watched the show what bipolar disorder is, so so somebody listening maybe for the first time may not understand what is bipolar?
5: Sure. Um, and, and what's confusing about these diagnoses is that they're they're on a continuum and um, they evolve over time. so so if if you bear with me, I'll try to kind of simply um, lay it out in terms of there's there's such a thing as major depressive episodes, and I think we can all understand those. This is not feeling blue or down. This is a serious chemical depression where someone is really unable to function. And clearly, Marilyn, um, if we look at her story, we see evidence that she had major depressive episodes. What what makes bipolar disorder different is that not only do you have the the one or multiple episodes of depression, but then you have this other shift of the mood where it goes into uh, a manic episode. And this is the irritability, the crankiness, the inability to sleep, um, these mood strength, but the highs. These are the highs. So when you have a combination of at least one high and one low, you've, you now have a bipolar disorder, and there are many different types of bipolar disorders. What makes um, borderline personality disorder so different is, it's not chemically related, it's, it's a personality disorder. And in simple Correct. terms, it's, it's an, it's because of early childhood experiences or abuse. It's not caused by a genetic factor. So a, a problem would be, a, pr- a person would be very challenged in regulating their emotions. They tend to be impulsive and reckless. They have patterns of unstable relationships. Their mood shifts, like within a day, their mood can shift. While with bipolar disorder, uh, it it takes a a little bit longer. And um, they really fear abandonment. They don't have a sense of themselves, so they look for external validation. So um, they either um, inflate that other people are like on a pedestal, but when they feel let down, then they feel um, rejected, and they might have a tendency to demonize people who let them down. It's a very yeah. challenging diagnosis, and people have have challenged me on it, saying, "Well, well, Marilyn wasn't diagnosed with that," and there's a reason, which is because uh, the Greenson was working out of a diagnostic and statistical manual that was published in '52, and um, we really didn't um, identify and accept. My po- our, our borderline personality disorder as a diagnosis until 1980. But we knew about it. If you look back to, in literature in the 30s, you see it mentioned. And in all of um, Greenson's letters to Dr. Chris, he is indeed describing his challenge of treating the symptoms, which relate directly to the way we, we diagnose that, di- that diagnosis now. Yeah, if
6: well, I, I to add to Gary, if sure. I could just say this, um, with having both, and, and, Gary, again, my family member has both bipolar and borderline personality. And, 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 and that's
5: another point. The comorbidity is really high. You can have bipolar disorder with just a depressive disorder or with um, a, a borderline personality disorder with a, a, um, a bipolar disorder, and that just um, increases the severity of the symptoms.
6: It does, and on top of that, it's not easily diagnosed either. I mean, her bipolar was diagnosed straight away. But to get into the borderline personality, it took some time for them to actually uh, diagnose that as well. So absolutely. even today, and this is you know five years ago. So in fact, um, uh, in comparison to then, to your point, um, it is not something that they may not have known about it. But for them to really be able to integrate how those two coincide, it, it's not it's not even that easy today to do that. So, so yeah, so it is, it's very very yeah, it's it's a tough one that's for
5: sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so- now we're. T-
2: so I was going to just say, so so as as the panel, let me just hear what you guys uh, think about this. That based on the symptoms and what we know today, in today's standards, not back in 19 you know 62, let alone he was looking at 1952 uh, standards. But if Marilyn were alive today and doctors were looking at her today with the same symptoms, she would be diagnosed with bipolar and borderline personality. Are we saying that?
6: I don't think we're in a position to say that, actually.
2: No, but, I mean, is that, is that the feeling of the symptoms?
6: Yeah, it is to me, yeah. mostly because of the triggers. And the response yeah. system to abandonment and what happens with a patient that has that is, I could see correlations all over the place, you know, from yeah. personal experience. Yeah. So, so that's in that personal. regard, the answer would be yes, but that's just my opinion.
5: I'm not, yeah. you know.
2: Yeah, uh, Gary, I, 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 you yeah. you deal with well, this you know, every day.
5: Marilyn's not alive today for us to, to ask the question, so we, ha- we have to do this posthumous um, diagnosis, this impression right. we have based upon, you know, what, what information is here. I think it's very strong. I mean, as, as a mental health professional, you know, when I discuss Maryland with, with other professionals, you know, pretty much there's, there's consensus, people who read the biographies, that, you know, borderline personality disorder clearly speaks to, what she was dealing with. Um, her symptoms are consistent with it. You know, with, uh-huh. with, the, with the mood disorder, I think certainly we have, we have enough evidence to say a depressive disorder. It's not really hard to be diagnosed with a depressive disorder. Many people are walking around with the disorder, not even realizing that they, they have it because they've lived with it so long. Um, right. And, and bipolar disorder, maybe, I, I don't know, specifically maybe what type she had but she definitely the whole category of bipolar is is a mood disorder and i think we can safely say she had a mood disorder and if you don't meet all the criteria for the various uh, the bipolar disorders there is a kind of a go to uh, more broad diagnosis which is the mood disorder not otherwise uh, specified okay. and um, certainly i think she would meet that criteria if not the specific um bipolar. yeah she definitely hit right. markers from my perspective Okay, I'm
2: I'm going to yeah. I'm going to change the subject a little bit because we just have a few minutes left um in terms of this documentary or or television show. One of the things that I found was very interesting that they didn't even address is the fact that uh, the reason why the doctors, the doctors did not call the police right away is that they were stunned by her death. I found that just completely outrageous in terms of the fact that, you know, doctors, especially Dr. Engelberg, um, deals with death in terms of, of, you know, uh, calling it and saying, you know, when somebody died, he has a legal, legal obligation to call the police. Mary Jane, your thoughts on that? Um,
0: Well, one of the things I did notice on that is they said it was only 45 minutes before the police were called, Um, that depends on which one of Eunice Murray's stories you go by, uh, because she had originally said that she found Marilyn at midnight, which places it four hours to call the police. Um, If you go by the I found her at 3.30, then, yeah, it would be about 45 minutes. But um, while I can understand it can be shocking to have a, a patient die, uh, you're right. Dr. Engelberg had patients die all the time. Uh, it doesn't take 45 minutes to recover, I wouldn't think.
2: Let alone yes, four hours. legally required
0: and, to notify someone that she died. And, and, so if, yeah, exactly. And me,
2: too, if I could
6: just say this, is that I, my understanding is that the sooner the better, that they could, you know, by the body temperature, by other things regarding the state of the body, that they're able to actually, from that, be able to determine things.
2: Exactly. So why would
6: anybody wait when, in fact, that could have been, you know, information that was critical?
2: Exactly. And and Leslie, just one last thing with this, and then we're going to have to close. Um, 10, 10 p.m., what in the world are they saying that she died at 10 p.m.? I thought we knew oh for sure that between mm-hmm. 8 and 9 p.m. that she is now, we can we can determine that based on the records, and now they're saying 10 p.m. Leslie?
7: Yeah, well, um, when you look at the um, interview that uh, Mary Jane had done with Dr. Cyril Weck, and he had said um, 9 p.m., sorry, at the latest, um, and that's going off, you know, the rigor mortis, the uh, lividity, the liver temperature, all that sort of thing. Um, so by all of that, I, I honestly had to wonder just exactly how closely they looked at her autopsy um, <laughs> because they've got a timeline that's that's off. They've got um, statements about when she started taking pills that don't make sense. Um, and then not only that, but you've got him pulling things, say, stating things that were not even in the autopsy. They're actually taken from the suicide prevention team's report and um, from the final press conference announcing the um, verdict on her death. So, yeah, 10 o'clock, no, it doesn't make any sense. And and neither did a lot of uh, kind of the timeline that he was presenting at the end when he presented his conclusions.
2: Yeah, I just felt like, you know, there were some things that were presented that could have been really good and if well uh, uh, followed through, um, but there were a lot of creative liberties, which again creates more misinformation in regards to what's out there. So I want to thank the panel, uh, Leslie uh Gary Vitaka Robles, Mary Jane Gray, uh, Dana, who is uh, Dana Kent, who is the co-creator of the investigation room as well. Guys, um, you were, I cannot believe it. We're running out of time. We can Talk about this probably another hour. So, uh, with that said, uh, we'll be back next Friday, 10 a.m. We will be having Sherry Belafonte, the daughter of Harry Belafonte, with us. Psychic Robin and Lexis will be with us talking about how Marilyn felt about this week and all the love that she had. Until next week, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio. And remember, never stop dreaming.
1: Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night, Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.